Father, thank you uh, for the glorious gift of your love that you sent your son Jesus to die for us and he willingly came. He loved us so much that he would give himself for us and obey you uh, to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Father, we praise you for that. We praise you for your son Jesus. And Father, we so look forward to that day where we are with you. We see you face to face, Lord. We see our God uh, because we're glorified, no more sin, because of what Christ has done. We are so look forward to it. And yet, uh, right now, we have the privilege of worshiping you here. And we know that you hear our prayer. We know that you hear our praise. And so we thank you for this time. We pray we continue to do so as we look into your word. Help us to understand and to respond in a way that glorifies you through your Son, by your Spirit. We pray this in your Son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I mentioned before, you have an outline. On one side is what we're going to look at today, Psalm 95. And the other side is a preview of two outlines, kind of more uh, bones with that, not really the meat in that. But uh, you can look at that and kind of think about what we're going to be looking at for the next few weeks. That's on the back side. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, since we began this service, where has your heart been? You know, sometimes we can be rushing here to get to church, you know, or something's gone, happened beforehand, or things are weighing heavy in our lives, or whatever it might be, we, we come in here and we just kind of just uh, stand here, whatever it might be. Where has your heart been? Have you been joyfully giving thanks to the rock of your salvation? Have you been praising our, our wonderful God uh, because of what he's done for you? You see, we're to come in his presence with thanksgiving. We're to come before our great God with a demeanor that is holy and righteous, as we'll see, with a demeanor that is from a changed heart. And today we're going to see that if we don't desire to worship, and if we don't worship in this manner, if something's very wrong, that maybe uh, the Lord has to give us an ultimatum. Because the reality is we should want to worship. We should want to praise God. We should be joyful. We should be thankful. And if we're not, and if we've never been that way, maybe you have a hard heart. And the Lord God would say to you, do not harden your heart. And he gives us the example of those Israelites who hardened their hearts after seeing his mighty deeds. And I think what we're going to see today is although we have two different types of people in the world, we have the wicked and the righteous, We have two different types of people in church. We have the wicked and the righteous. We have those who come who aren't saved. And they have seen God's mighty deeds. They have seen God's mighty work. Maybe that's you. And God would say to you today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If you recognize that you are not like what we are going to see today, uh, joyously desiring to worship our great God, then something's wrong. And there's a warning for you, but there's also a great encouragement for all of us who have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 95, and we're going to see really uh, an ultimatum, worship the Lord or else. You know, uh, it's kind of interesting, and it's not a forced worship. It's not a feigned worship, as we'll see. It's a worship from a changed heart that wants to, that wants to praise the Lord. Now, as we look at the Psalms, the Psalms originally, uh, the Greek word translated psalmoi meant to pluck or twitch a string, speaks of music. Uh, We know that the Psalms eventually took on the extended meaning of a song. And we know that the Psalms are really Israel's inspired hymns set to music, set to music. And by and large, in the Psalms, we have the author's, uh, inspired author's response, inspired response to the word of God. Back to the Lord, an inspired response back to the Lord in the midst of all kinds of difficulties of life, whatever it might be, in the midst of, uh, as we see in the Psalms. So with that in mind, we're going to see that we are to worship the Lord. Let's read our Psalm, Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. 
For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth, the peaks of the mountains are his also, the sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in Meribah, as in the day of Massah, as in the as in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation, and I said, They are a people who, are, who err in their heart, and they do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger, Truly they shall not enter into my rest. So obviously, uh, reading through this, this psalm is divided into two parts. And I think we'd prefer to stop at the sheep of his pasture. But it goes on, and it's kind of interesting. It doesn't seem like it fits, but as we're going to see, it does fit. There are two parts, that we should be coming and worshiping the Lord, that we should be singing unto him, we should be giving thanks. Uh, We should be joyfully doing so because of who he is and what he's done. And if we don't do that, then something is very wrong. You see, the people of Israel, when they left uh, by God's hand out of Egypt, they would name the name of the Lord. And like I mentioned earlier, uh, this is for people in the body of Christ, some who would say they know the Lord, but maybe would realize even today that they do not desire to worship like this, and they don't worship like this. And if that's the case, we'll have the exhortation not to harden your heart, not to harden your heart. So with that in mind, notice the first portion. We have a wonderful command. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Isn't that great? That's the way we should be thinking. We should be preparing our hearts before we come here. If you are parents, you shouldn't be just running out and getting everybody here. I know it's hard. you got kids. you got all sorts of stuff going on. Everything, all hell will break loose in the morning beforehand. But we should be thinking about it. We should be thinking about it, as we'll see next week, even the night before. We should be thinking about preparing for this time where we come and corporately worship the Lord. We should be thinking about it. We should be preparing our hearts. Come, let us... Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. With psalms. And again, I picked this psalm to go through again because of what we're going to see in Nehemiah. We're going to see in Nehemiah that after these Jews repented, and there was fruit of that repentance they willingly and gladly worshipped the Lord for what he had done. And we're going to see some great examples of corporate worship. And here we have an example from the Psalms here. So first of all, we have the, the command here to come. And then within this, we have some let us's, right? So we have the command, come, and then we have let us do this, let us do that. The command and then three exhortations. Come, and then let us do three things. Come, and let us do three things. Now, so sadly these days, there are such wrong views in the church concerning worship uh, because the authority of God's word has been effectively thrown out and people trying to get people in church use the world's ways to to work on uh, the emotions of people and people come in and it's all about them and it's all about what the church does for them rather than come and as we're going to see, let us sing for joy to the Lord. It does say, come and enjoy the show. You know, some of these places are like rock concerts. You know, you know, it, the music sounds pretty good sometimes, you know. It sounds too good. It's not about the Lord. It's about how we feel about the Lord rather than about him. We're to sing to the Lord, not listen to a show about the Lord. Or in this, some of those aren't even about the Lord, right? You know, so notice this, we have this here. So we need to make sure that we get our understanding of worship, especially as we plant this church here, our understanding of worship from the word of God and that we stand firm in that, no matter what the winds of desire in this world uh, bear down on upon. And so here we have this here. In the first half of the psalm, it is all about worship. 
It is all about corporate worship together. That's what it is. You know, it's interesting. We don't have many examples. We have some Old Testament examples of worship. You know, we have it. We're going to see it in Nehemiah. But we don't have a lot of examples of how things worked, right? I think we're going to see a lot. But underneath what we're going to see in Nehemiah is we need to have the right heart. The right heart. So here, the true believer is commanded here to come and sing for joy. Now, when you are following the Lord, his commands are not burdensome. You don't say, oh, man, we got to come and sing to the Lord. Oh, boy, we got to shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Oh, boy. It's not a burden. If you're truly following the Lord, you want to. You want to sing to the Lord. There's something that's been changed in your heart, and that's what this song's about. And if your heart isn't changed, if you are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, uh, then you may be on the way to your judgment, and God does not want that to happen. So the first half is all about worship. And notice here, he says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord, uh, Sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock for our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. This is about us coming together. This is about the body of Christ. In the New Testament, we see God's people, the Old Testament, God's people, the New Testament, the body of Christ, coming together to worship the Lord. Let us come together and do these things. And let us joyfully do these things. Now, I think there's a reaction in churches these days where, you know, the charismatics are all over the place. They're jumping up and down and they're screaming around or whatever it might be. Seems like the flesh to me. Uh, but then some churches can have very little, at least from the outside, doesn't mean there's any joy. I think there should be a joy in our hearts. We're going to see that. There should be a joy. We should be singing to the Lord for joy. There should be joy. There should be joy. And so he says here, come, uh, literally, you all together. Come together. Come together. We are to come and, and we're to worship the Lord, as we'll see, joyfully. Now think about it. It's not just an Old Testament thing. Obviously, in the New Testament, we are to assemble together also. Hebrews chapter 10 is very clear. Do not forsake the assembling of one another together, as some has made it their habit. Then he goes on to warn them that basically maybe you're on your way to judgment. If you don't want to come and serve the Lord, seek ways to love his people and to come together and worship him, maybe something's really wrong. If you are seeking out a church that entertains you and is all about your feelings and your ways, maybe something's wrong rather than coming together as we're going to see here. He says here, oh, come, let us. And notice here. There's a focus, there's a point, there's a direction to this worship. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with songs. It doesn't say come sing a song with the song leader and that's it. We're going to see in Nehemiah, there are those who led music. There are those who led the choirs. There are those that led it, but it was leading it to sing unto the Lord, to sing unto him. That's where we come. It's a heart attitude. We come in his presence with thanksgiving to sing unto him joyfully to the rock of our salvation. We come to sing with him, even with the word, with psalms, right? We come to sing with him. The focus of our worship is our God. The focus of our worship is our God. It's not the music. It's not the sermon. The focus of the worship is the Lord. Now, will we sing? Yes. Will we hear the word? Yes. But those things are simply part of worshiping our God and focusing on him. So then, before each of these things, specifically, we have some, notice there's some repetition, actually. Verse 1, let us sing for joy. End of verse 1, let us shout joyfully, right? Middle of verse 2, let us shout joyfully. And I think we're going to see that he's not saying, come and yell at the Lord. It's in parallel. In Hebrew, there is parallelism. It means there's actually sound coming out of our mouths. We are joyfully singing unto the Lord. And if you don't sing, something is, is wrong. 
Why don't you see, you know, you're either too focused on yourself, you're embarrassed, someone's going to hear you or whatever it might be. We are to sing not to you and not to you and not to you. We're to sing to the Lord. We're to sing to the Lord. Now, certainly there will be, as we'll see in Nehemiah, choirs of people, singers who are, who are skilled in that, right? Those who lead. We may not be skilled singers, but every one of us is to sing unto the Lord. And notice, we're to do it joyfully. Let us sing for joy. And, 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 and end of verse 1, let us shout joyfully. Middle of verse 2, let us shout joyfully. Joyfully. It's not like this. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. There's not, it's not like that. There's a joy. Praise the Lord. I'm not saying an out-of-control emotionalism. We are to be self-controlled in the, by the Spirit of God. But there is a joy in the heart to sing praises unto him. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Right? And we, when we're praising him and we're in our hearts, we should have a sense of joy. It should be joyful. Let us do it joyfully. Let us do it joyfully. You see, worship involves joy. It involves joy. And if you are walking with the Lord, you're going to be joyful. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, right? Joy, right? It's joy. If you're properly focused on him and not yourself and your own problems or other people and their problems or whatever it might be, then you're going to sing for joy. And what happens is we don't prepare ourselves. We don't, we don't prepare ourselves. We've got sin in our lives, whatever it might be. And then we're distracted by anything and everything and everything. And we're thinking about anything but singing for joy unto the Lord. We need to sing for joy unto the Lord. You see, I can't tell your hearts, you know, when I'm up here and I see people singing. I can't, I don't know your hearts, but sometimes I don't know where you're at. You know, I can't tell. Doesn't look too joyful. Doesn't look too joyful. I'm not telling you to be fake. I'm not telling you to put on a show. Telling you that there should be an inner joy. And that should be manifest, right? Should be singing for joy. Our corporate worship of God is centered in joy. We're going to see in Nehemiah. They are very joyful. They're very thankful. And that's an evidence something is really going right in their walk with the Lord. There's joy. You see, biblical joy is, is so important. And let me share some verses that help us understand where that joy comes from. Uh, Psalm 1611. And you can note them down. You can try to follow. Don't, don't worry if you, if you pass it up. I'll share the verse references. Psalm 1611. In thy presence is fullness of joy. In, the, at the, in thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. I think of this, you know, in the presence of sin in my life is no joy, right? If there's sin in my life, there's no joy, right? It's just the way it is. But when we're focused on him and recognizing who he is, the rock of our salvation, we've been saved, we've been forgiven, there's joy. There's joy. Nehemiah, we saw this uh, earlier in chapter 8, verse 10. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord holds you up. It holds you up. Psalm 5, verse 11. But let all who take refuge in thee be glad. Now, why would we need to have these verses telling us to come joyfully? I think we need to be reminded at times. I think we can get self-focused. I think things can bear down on us. Even if we're following the Lord, there are difficulties. In this world, you will have trouble, right? But Jesus said, take courage, I've overcome all. And we need to get our heads realigned, in a sense, and our hearts realigned so that we're thinking about what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, and that's where the joy is going to come. So we need to renew our hearts and minds. Psalm 5, verse 11, But let all who take refuge in thee be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Sing for joy. Uh, and mayest thou shelter them. Let that those who love thy name may exult in thee. For it is thou who dost bless the righteous man and dost surround him with favor as with a shield. We know that uh, when we sin, uh, that joy is gone. But when we confess and we focus on Christ, there is joy. Psalm 32, uh, verse 1. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, how blessed is the man in whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. How blessed is the one, the forgiven one. We are so blessed. And then verse 10 is of Psalm 32. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. 
Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Be glad. Be glad and shout for joy. Uh, Psalm uh, 43. O send out thy light, thy truth, and let them lead me. Let them bring me to thy holy holy hill and to thy dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. When we think about him and what he's done for us and how much he loves us, it should just bring joy to your heart. Bring joy to your heart. Psalm 71, verse 23. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to thee. When I sing praises to thee and my soul which thou hast redeemed. Praise the Lord. You know, the reality is sin gets in the way. And when sin is in the way, we don't have joy. Now, if you have never been saved, you're not going to have biblical joy. You're not going to rejoice in God your Savior because he's not your Savior yet. Yes, he is the Savior of the world, but he's not your Savior. You haven't trusted in him yet. When David uh, sinned greatly and when he was confessing his sin, he understood there was joy in salvation that was gone when he was sinning. Let's turn to Psalm 51. You see, when we allow ourselves to get into unholy ways, through attitudes or actions, we don't confess sin, we lose joy right away, right away. It's gone. Psalm 51, verse 7. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which thou hast broken rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from thy presence. Do not take thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. The joy of thy salvation. One pastor writes, Now he refers to that which is so much upon his heart that he would have the saints always rejoicing. Speaking of... uh, Paul and and and, and uh, you know the the command to rejoice always and and again I say rejoice in Philippians and he says here joy and holiness are inseparable and I agree with this a holy Christian is able to rejoice even when passing through the deepest afflictions but a believer who through unwatchfulness has permitted himself to fall into unholy ways loses immediately the joy of the Lord, which is the strength of those who walk in communion with himself. Now, we think of unholy ways. We think of all kinds of obvious wicked sins. But, you know, think about it. When I don't trust the Lord, when I lean on my own understanding, that's an unholy way. And I'm not going to be joyful, right? And so here, whatever it might be. So then, have you lost your joy? Has sin caused you to lose sight of Jesus and what he has done for you? Are you shriveling under the weight of your sin? Just confess. Come clean. He who confesses and forsakes will find compassion. Compassion. And remember, we saw uh, last week that when we call upon God to help us walk rightly, you ask for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. He's going to give you what's good when you ask for what is good. And what is good is walking rightly with him. That's what is good. So we're in continual dependent prayer. And so we have such great reason to rejoice, Paul would say, and I mentioned it earlier, we are to rejoice in the Lord, Philippians 3.1. And then Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord, in the Lord. Our worship is done in the context of joy. So I'm not going to teach you to be joyful. I'm not going to teach you how to be all happy during worship. A lot of worship things do that. Let's be happy. Let's use music to make them happy, you know, rather than focus on Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. Thank him. Praise him. There's going to be joy pouring out of your soul, and it's going to come out as we come together and sing for joy. As we sing for joy, we're going to sing to Christ, the rock of our salvation. So back in our passage, Psalm 95, oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Again, I notice the parallelism it has to do with singing. It's not singing and shouting, it's singing, right? It's, it implies loud singing, really. It implies we're singing loudly. We're singing unto the Lord. We're singing unto the Lord. Sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. 
You see, we are singing to the rock of our salvation. This is an Old Testament psalm. Who is the rock of their salvation? The rock is Christ. The rock is Christ. In the context, we're going to see, and you might remember, in the wilderness, Israel, uh, that the rock that uh, Moses struck first, which he was told to strike, struck, he was told to speak to it later, but he didn't, struck it instead, you know. But uh, uh, he, he was supposed to strike that rock, which he struck, Exodus 17, 1 through 7. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, that rock was Christ. He struck the rock, and the water came out. Christ fulfilled their needs, you see? Christ took care of them. He is the rock of our salvation. He is the rock of our salvation. We are to focus on our Savior and joyfully worship him who died for our sins and rose from the dead. We need to focus on Jesus. We need to focus on Jesus. You know, if we're focused on ourselves, we're going to have pretty rotten uh, worship time, okay? And I'm not saying it's for good or bad. I'm saying it's going to be rotten because we have a rotten heart. We need to focus on Jesus, right? To focus on Jesus. So notice here, let us, back verse 2, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. I don't think we realize this, that when we come to corporately worship we are corporately coming before the presence of the living God. You've got to think about that, and you've got to raise your understanding of that, and therefore we need to confess sin, we need to put off distractions, we need to think rightly, we need to renew our minds. This is a big deal. Yes, we can boldly come before his throne, and we praise the Lord for that, but we are corporately doing so together. We are coming in his presence in his presence, and therefore we need to raise our understanding of, of the, uh, the, the, the sacredness of our time together, but also that should bring joy as we focus on him. But think about it. How can we come before the presence of the living God? He is holy and we are sinful. How is that possible? Indeed, Scripture reveals that man before salvation is separated from God. Uh, he, even Israel, being his people, were separated by their sins. Isaiah 59, verse 1. Uh, well, let me read that for you. Isaiah 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not too short that it cannot save, neither his ear too dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. We know the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Think about some Proverbs and some examples in the Proverbs here. Let me take a sip of water here. <coughs> Proverbs 15:29. The Lord is far from the wicked. You're not coming in his presence unless you're repenting of your sin to be saved by Jesus. You're not coming in his presence. He's not letting sinners in his presence. But here is the prayer of the righteous. Proverbs 15.8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to him. You come here in your sins, not being saved by Jesus Christ. He is not thinking, oh, it's wonderful you came to worship me. It is an abomination to him. You cannot come in his presence in your sin. Job, um, when he is talking about the reality that he knows that he's going to be able to present his case for the Lord, now, he starts out righteous, but he, he gets a little frustrated and he ends up needing to be reproved. But he knows he's going to be able to bring his case before the Lord. And he says something in Job thirteen sixteen: This also will be my salvation, for a godless man may not, become, may not come before his presence. No godless man is going to come before the presence of the Lord, especially in worship. It isn't going to happen. But we have the privilege because of Jesus Christ. Christ. You see, God is so gracious, and he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. And if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. And we can come into his presence because we are righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. Tremendous. So he says, let us come before his presence. We are coming in the presence of the living God. We need to think about that. It's not casual Sunday. It should be very, uh, uh, we should have raised our understanding of what we are doing. You know, when you come into the presence of someone who is worthy of respect, 
you know, you, you know, say, say you got a, you know, you got a, a, a note from the president, President Trump, when he's president, should be president now, but President Trump, right? You get a note. It says, "Come to the White House, and I want to meet you." You're not going to come in old holy jeans, holy jeans or 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 or, or uh, shorts. You're going to come in a way that is respectful. And I'm not saying being being uh, having a church service that is legalistic. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a heart that reverences God. We're coming in the presence of the living God. We're coming in the presence of the living God. We should have a reverence, a reverence for him. We need to teach our kids that this is a special time. It's a special time. It's a special time. So then, notice what he says. Let us come before him with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Uh, we're to be thankful. We're to be thankful. We're to be singing. We're to be thankful. Uh, we know we're to worship the Lord in holy attire, right? We're to be righteous, right? Uh, we're to be because of his forgiveness, okay? First uh, Thessalonians chapter uh, 5. Rejoice always, verse 16. Pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks. For this is the will of God. We should become thankful. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for saving me. Thank you so much for your kindness towards me. Thank you so much for your mercy. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We should be coming with thankfulness in our heart. If you come to church and you come here the entire time and you leave and you've never thanked the Lord from your heart, something is not right. Something is not right. Something is not right. There should be a genuine desire to thank the Lord, to thank the Lord. You know, thankfulness is an evidence of the Spirit of God functioning in your life, being Spirit-led. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, I'm not talking about faux thankfulness. I'm talking about genuine thankfulness from a heart that's been changed. Genuine thankfulness. And that means I need to make a choice to throw off all that other junk that's clouding my mind. I need to be thinking about the Lord Jesus. I need to make a choice to set that aside, to trust the Lord with all that, and to spend this time worshiping him. Ephesians 5.17 So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. It means be controlled. Instead of being controlled by wine, be controlled by the Spirit of God. He says here, and then there's ing words, which means this is what it looks like. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and literally being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Always giving thanks. Always giving thanks to the Father through Christ thankful for what he's done for us so thankful our worship should be filled with filled with filled with joyful singing and filled with thankfulness in our hearts to the lord says here let us come before his presence with thanksgiving thanksgiving and then let us again shall shout joyfully to him with psalms that speaks of singing singing uh, that has the word in it by the way with psalms, our, our singing should be very Bible-centered. It should be word-focused, word-centered. should be, be, be about the Lord. You see, thankfulness is an evidence of whether you're walking in God's will or not, by the way. It's the will of God for you to be thankful and everything give thanks. It's God's will. And if you're not walking in his will, maybe you don't know him. An unthankful heart, a heart that never gives thanks, is a symptom of someone who doesn't know the Lord. Romans chapter 1 talks about those, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. You know, we're going to see later on that he made everything. He's the God of our salvation. We should thank him for this day, thank him for everything. There's so much to thank him for. He made us. He made each one of us. He saved us. Wow, just so many things. We praise you, Lord God, for what you've done through your son Jesus. Look at Psalm 100. We read this earlier in our, in our worship time. Psalm 100, a psalm of thanksgiving. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Again, joy, right? Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God, that he has made us, and we are not ourselves. We are the people, we are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates. Come before his presence, right? 
with thanksgiving. We're coming into his presence. We better come with thanksgiving. You know, if you were to come to some place and they said, uh, you need to bring this and you don't bring it, not a good thing, right? God is saying we should come before him with thanksgiving. That's how we should enter his presence. Enter his presence. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless the, bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. His faithfulness to all generations. Wow, tremendous. When we are together, our worship should be characterized by joyful singing to the Lord, coming in his presence with thankfulness. Joyful singing, joyfully with psalms. We should be sharing the truth of God and praising him and singing about him and praising him. And notice, back in our passage, we have the reason for doing all this. One of the reasons. Look at uh, verse 3. This is why we should be coming in his presence and singing unto him joyfully and thank, with thankfulness. For, verse 3, the Lord is a great God. Isn't that great? We have a great God. We just got a great God. Praise the Lord for that. We got a great God. Uh, and notice what he says. And a great king above all gods. He is the sovereign. He is the king of, the, of, the, of, the, of everything, right? His kingdom will endure forever. Uh, our king is the king of kings and lord of lords. It's King Jesus. It's King Jesus. In whose hands are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his. Think about the ocean. Everything, it's all his. These beautiful trees out here, he made them. He made all this. Everything. He made us. You know, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, he is so gracious and so kind. A sea is his, for it is he who made it, and his hands form the dry land. He's the creator, and he's also our redeemer, the rock of our salvation, right? He brought about the new creation. Let's sing joyfully to him, because he's a great God. We got a great God. Wow, we got a great God. We should be thinking that way. If you're not thinking that way, something's in the way. Something's in the way. Psalm 135, maybe we're not seeing it enough, maybe we're not putting it in our heart enough. Psalm 135, you could turn there, Psalm 135. Praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, praise him, O servants of the Lord, you who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of, of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to his name, for it is lovely. For the, for the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his own possession. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Psalm 145, you can look at that also, 145. A psalm of praise of David. I will extol thee, O my God, O King. I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day I'll bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. On, on the glorious splendor of thy majesty and on the wonderful works I will meditate. Maybe that's your problem. Maybe that's our problem. We're not meditating on what he's done. What he's done through Jesus. What he's done in creating this world. He's, he's our creator, right? What he's done in bringing the new creation, saved people through his son Jesus. He says here, How thy mighty acts... And, and men shall speak of the power of thine awesome acts, and I will tell of thy greatness. We have a great God. We have a great God. And so then we are to come before him and we're to worship him. We're to worship him. We have a great God and king. He is the creator of the universe. Uh, he has brought all these things about. Sing to him, praise him, thank him. This should be happening in our worship. It should be happening in our worship. Now notice uh, the command here now moves towards really the inner demeanor. We certainly see what we should be doing, but there needs to be an inner demeanor involved in that. Look at verse 6, back in Psalm 95. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Hey, that sounds like a song, doesn't it? Yes, it is, right? Well, now you know the context. We're to sing for joy. We're to be singing and thankful. But we should have a demeanor of reverence and awe for him. It's not a free-for-all rock concert time. 
You know, there's there's different times of things that we do. We can, you know, rejoice and have fun and do different things. But this is coming before the living God. This is coming before him. He says here, come let us bow down. Come let us bow down. Uh, worship. The term worship means to bow in the context of worship. The term bow down means, speaks of the posture, kneeling. We need to bow our hearts and we need to bow ourselves, right? There should be a, a sense in which we are bowing before him. It reveals humility and reverence. And it's so unlike so many services that I have observed in the evangelical church. Come enjoy the music, emotionally put your hands in God's face, rebelliously sing songs that you love to hear about how you feel about God. Not good. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel, kneel our hearts before him. Let us, let us reverence our God. Let us have a different demeanor. Of, of, of coming before a holy, gracious, great God who saved us, who loves us beyond what we can ever imagine. He loves us so much, so much. So we're to come worship and bow down. And it says, let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. This is the posture of our hearts. This is where we should be. We should have reverence for him. We should have humility when we come before the Lord, our maker. You see, I didn't make myself. You didn't make yourself. You didn't decide to be. God made you. He created you. And he created you in his image. And he created you for a relationship with him. But sin's in the way. But Jesus broke the sin barrier. And we trust in Jesus. We can have a relationship. And we do have a relationship with the living God. Notice he says here, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. We know from the new covenant uh, prophesied in Jeremiah, uh, brought about through the death of Jesus Christ, again revealed in Hebrews chapter 8, that through the blood of Jesus Christ, we become his people and he becomes our God. You see, if you don't know Jesus, he's not your God. You're not his people. Uh, Peter would say that we were once not a people, but now we are the people of God. We're his people. We're his people. There's a possession. It's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. So we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. You see, Jesus Christ is not the bad shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's also the chief shepherd. Uh, he is uh, the one that is over the flock Turn to John 10. We see, you know, a picture of our good shepherd, our good shepherd, John 10. We're his sheep. We're his possession. We're his people. He loves us. He takes care of us. He watches over us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, right? He loves us. We should be praising him for it, right? But if the service is all about you and your stuff and your ways and how to fix you, you're going to be praising God. You're going to be just working on your own self rather than praising God. Praising God. John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling is not a shepherd. He who is not the owner of the sheep, uh, and who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling and not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, I know the fa- and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. He's the good shepherd. And guess what? Implied in this is the bad guy's not concerned, but he is. He's concerned. Cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. He's concerned. We have a great God. We have a great, great God, and we are his sheep. Jesus would say later on, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. We are to come joyfully, singing unto him in his presence with thanksgiving, shouting joyfully to the rock of our salvation. We're to come and worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord our God, our maker, because we are his people, and he is and we are his sheep. That's why. Is this your heart? Is this your heart? Where is this your desire when you came today? Maybe there's all other things going on. We need to start thinking about it in advance. 
and preparing for this time of corporate worship. Yes, we are to offer ourselves all the time as living sacrifices. Yes, we can come before his throne and find find grace, receive mercy in time of need, right? Or find mercy, receive grace in time of need. But we have a special time where we come corporately to praise our God. We are his people. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing. We're going to see that the scripture speaks to a lot of elements on how we're to do this. We're going to be looking at this in the next few weeks. We're going to see that. But this is the basis, our heart attitude and our, our heart before the Lord as we come and worship him. This ought to be convicting for some of you. Some of you don't worship this way. Maybe you've never worshiped this way. If you have never sung for, for joy to the Lord, if you've never been thankful, I would question whether you know him. I don't know your heart. But something's not right because when Jesus saves you, there's a desire to praise him. There's a desire to thank him. There's a desire to, to, to see him exalted. But maybe you have a hardened heart. Believers can have hardened hearts. Sin gets in the way. We need to confess it and get right with the Lord. Or maybe you have a hardened heart and you're rejecting the Lord. It's an evidence that something is not right. Because notice, after this wonderful portion, which we could stop right here and say, wonderful portion on worship, right? But it goes into you know what some would say is a dark picture. It's not something that's nice or good. Well, it's actually very good because God warns us of where we're at because he desires that none perish. He doesn't want anyone to, to, to perish, but desires that all would come to repentance. He's a good God. And so he warns us in advance. And he uses examples of others who failed, who didn't heed the warnings, so that we would heed those warnings and that we might be saved. Look at what he says here, middle of verse 7, Psalm 95. Today... If you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation, and I said they are a people who err in their heart, and they do not know my ways Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter my rest. Very serious thing. They were not able to enter into the rest of the promised land. And later on in the book of Hebrews, we'll see that that rest truly represents a salvation rest in Jesus Christ through faith. So don't harden your hearts. You see, if your heart hasn't been joyful, your heart doesn't praise the Lord, something's wrong. You don't want to worship him voluntarily and willingly and thankfully. Something's wrong. Maybe uh, if you've heard the word of God and you've been convicted of your sin, you've seen his mighty deeds, you have seen his work, you've seen true salvation. This is talking about in the church. You've seen people saved. Don't harden your heart. Don't, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Here's the warning. Again, if you hear his voice today, you should, it should cause you to recognize your lack of ability, your de- of desire to worship, that you're not worshiping from the heart. It should, it should re- you should realize something's going on. So don't harden your heart. You could say it grammatically this way. Do not let your heart harden. Do not let your heart harden. You have a choice to either go to press it down, to suppress it, to push it away, or to receive what God is saying if you hear his voice and then respond righteously. Notice he gives an illustration that the Israelites would have understood. You see, they came out of Egypt, and yet they grumbled and they disobeyed, and they never trusted the Lord, and they hardened their hearts. And one of the things about it is when you grumble and complain in light of what God has done, that's an evidence something's wrong. And I think you take this to the idea of worship for the church. You get people who come and they're grumbling about everything. The song's too slow, the song's too fast, this is that. Grumble, 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 grumble. You know, you see that. What's something may be very wrong in your heart. If you're not praising the Lord, now we can fall into that as believers, but those who don't know the Lord, who continually habitually nitpick everything and are not here bowing down their hearts and worshiping the Lord, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't harden your hearts. Notice he gives the example, as at Meribah, as in the day of Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, that's the father, that was the Jewish fathers, that's their their their, their relatives from back at that time. Uh, they tried me. They had, and though they had seen my work. 
In the book of Exodus, we have the incredible true story of Israel being miraculously delivered from the superpower of the day, the most powerful nation in the world, the most powerful leader in the world, being miraculously delivered where they saw miracles and the plagues of Egypt. All the while, while God protected the Hebrews, they saw the miraculous intervention of God parting the Red Sea and they crossed on dry land. They saw his deliverance. Okay, they saw it. And yet, in Exodus 13, only th- Exodus 15, only three days into their journey in the wilderness, they had no water. And Exodus 15:24, they grumbled at Moses, saying, "What shall we drink?" You say, "Are you kidding?" They just saw God part the Red Sea, and and they don't believe He can supply water for them. And then they go further in the wilderness and grumble because they didn't have food like they enjoyed in Egypt. The service isn't as fun as we had back in my old church or whatever it might be. It's not the music I like, which I used to have when I was unsaved, basically. You know what I'm saying? You know, you see that grumbling in church. Kind of a little parallel there, by the way. But here, he says here that they didn't have food and they grumbled about it. And then God sent them manna, right? Exodus 16. (coughs) And in spite of God's care, they ran out of water again and they grumbled against uh, 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 the Lord and against Moses. Exodus 17.3, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So these things are talking about Masa, which means test, Meribah, which means quarrel. He's saying, remember those situations in the wilderness where they tested me and they quarreled with me. And they quarreled with me. That's what God is saying. So indeed, the last straw was these grumblers and complainers did not believe that God would keep his promise and bring them into the promised land. Caleb and Joshua, they did. But the other, other ones said, and the congregation didn't. And he laid them low in the wilderness. Forty years. So back in our passage, today if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in Meribah, as in Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw, had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said they are a people who err in their heart and they do not know my ways. It's a pretty serious statement. For 40 years, the Lord loathed that generation. The term speaks of an intense dislike or disgust. 40 years, 40 years. For 40 years, they, 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 they err in their heart, he says. They did not know my ways. And we don't have time for this today, but you can read Hebrews chapter 3, and it goes through and it gives this exact account, and then it moves into chapter 4, and it says they didn't enter because of faith. They heard the gospel also. I'm going to read that. Let's read that. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. You can read up to that in chapter 3 because it talks about this account of do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. Well, let me, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the whole thing. We got, we got the Lord's time here. Let's go back to Hebrews 3, verse 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. Where This is verse 9 of Hebrews 3. Where your fathers tried me by testing me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with them, this, angry with this generation, and said they always go astray in their heart, and they do not know my ways. Maybe some of you have been in church for 40 years, and you don't know the Lord. You don't know his ways. And it's evidenced by the fact you don't worship him, and you've hardened your heart. Be warned. Be warned. Be warned. He says, And I swore in my wrath, or excuse me, therefore I was angry with that generation, and I said... They always go astray in their heart, and they do not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brother. Now he's talking to New Testament Jews who are identifying with the church but not saved. They're identifying, and they're about ready to turn away from Christ. He's warning them, don't harden your hearts. He says here, take care, brethren, lest any of you should have an an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as long as it's still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they, when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? And so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. That's the key there, okay? Unbelief manifests in grumbling. Unbelief manifests in, 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 in quarreling, okay? We see that, okay? He was one. Therefore, let us fear while a promise remains of entering his rest. Uh, any one of you should seem to come short of it. For indeed, we have had the good news preached to us. That's the gospel, good news. Just as they also, they had the good news and then the land, by the way, they did. Um, it says here, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. It's a warning. If you harden your heart, you're not going to enter into salvation rest. You're going to enter into judgment. If you don't worship and desire to worship like he's saying, come do this. Bow your heart before me. You're my people. Do this. If you don't desire to do so, you haven't. Something is very, very wrong. So in our passage, back in our passage, verse 11 Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter my rest. This is a warning to not harden your heart. You see God's mighty deeds. You see people praising him, truly praising him, truly honoring him, truly serving him, being saved from their sins. And you harden your heart. Uh, You're not going to enter his rest. It's a warning. Now, brothers and sisters, those who've trusted Christ, uh, we've been saved We've entered into salvation and rest, yet uh, you say, okay, this part isn't for me. Well, do you grumble? Well, how's your worship? We've been given the Old Testament that we would learn from their sin, that we would be instructed from these things as believers, as believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, let's go there. These all fit together, and we'll finish up here in a few minutes. 1 Corinthians 10. You can see it in its context. First Corinthians 10, one, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses. That means they were identified with Moses, by the way, in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. Okay? Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, these things happened as examples for who? For us, that we should not crave evil things as they also craved. And do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it's written. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and just were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. Don't do what they did in their sin. They did not enter his rest. They're in their sins. Don't you dare believers do these things. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Don't uh, don't do it. Don't do it. And he says here, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You think you've got a good relationship? You're standing so good in the Lord. Well, you, we 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 only stand by His grace. Be careful. Be guarded. Be guarded. Pride for pride. No temptation is overtaking you such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, our beloved, flee from idolatry. Okay, you got the temptation to be the way you used to be. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ. He will deliver you and flee from it. All right, flee from that. 
So then we've seen God's ultimatum. Worship the Lord with a right, joyous heart that only comes through salvation in Jesus Christ or else. Where are you today? Where are you today? Some of you don't know the Lord, and if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. You've seen God's truth. You've heard it. You've seen it in people's lives. Don't harden your heart. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ before it's too late. And then you will praise him, and you will thank him, and you'll be joyously giving thanks to him. And for those of us who are believers, we need not fall back into unholy ways, especially as we come together as a body. We need to prepare our hearts. We need to be be right with the Lord. We need to come into his presence with clean hands and clean hearts. We need to think and raise in our hearts the, 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 the value in our hearts of this time that we are together worshiping the Lord. And we need to remember that this time is a time that is unto him. It's to praise him, to thank him, to worship him, and it brings great joy. It brings great joy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that we are the sheep of your son's pasture. We are your people. Um, We are uh, forgiven, and you love us, and you take care of us, and you care for us, and you're concerned for us. Help us to learn and heed this instruction, Lord, on the positive side that we would be giving thanks and praising you and, and, uh, and honoring you. The negative side that we'd be turning away from idolatry and those things which we uh, could be tempted to do. We would trust your Lord, trust your Son, our Lord, to deliver us from those temptations. And Lord, I pray for anyone who doesn't know you. I pray today if they hear your voice, they wouldn't harden their hearts that they would believe in your son, Jesus. I pray for that. I pray that in your precious name. Amen.